Trigger warning, the Resilience Project provides an open space for people to share their personal experiences. Some content in this podcast may include topics that you may find difficult. The listener's discretion is advised. Hello, friends. Welcome to Radical Resilience, a weekly show where I, Blair Kaplan Venables, have inspirational conversations with people who have survived life's most challenging times. We all have the ability to be resilient and bounce forward from a difficult experience. And these conversations prove just that. Get ready to dive into these life-changing moments while strengthening your resilience muscle and getting raw and real. Welcome back to another episode of Radical Resilience. It's me, Blair Kaplan Venables, and I'm here with my friend Taryn. She is the CEO and founder of Four Eagles Publishing, the publishing house of choice for entrepreneurs who want to make an impact with their words. She is a co-author in the Woman Gone Wild book, right? Woman Gone Wild, Wealth Edition. Yeah, and we met on the internet and uh, in this past June, June 2022, we became friends because we were on a media tour together. We we went all over America and had some really funny moments. But she's amazing. <laughs> like she's she's a brilliant soul, brilliant human. She is a USA Today bestselling author, book coach, publisher, and marketer who's been featured in the Los Angeles Times, World News Network, Thrive Global, and more. She is just a good fucking person. And <laughs> usually like, we've had a couple catch ups since she went back to Australia and I came back to Canada, you know, and she's not working on manuscripts, which she seems to be doing all the time. She's like, <laughs> nature or reading a book with a cup of herbal tea or having FaceTime Zoom dates with me. And, exactly. Uh, you know, I only started to get to know you like in the last six, seven months. Mm. And I didn't really understand your story until... Mm. You got on stage at the book launch for the Woman Gone Wild <laughs> book. And I was like, holy shit. So I know you have lots of stories, but you know what what you and I talked a lot about was the traumas we carry with us the, mm. you know, from our childhood. And you know, I I would love to open the floor to you to share your story. Yeah, I'd love to. So something that I think the world needs more of is people who are willing to get real raw and vulnerable to tell it like it is for them from their version so that we can go, hey, you're not broken. Hey, this is life. Tough things happen and you can come out the other side. You need to, you know, find your people to lift you up and support you. You need to find yourself because I think that we are born with such a deep truth and contented knowing with who we are and what we're here to do. And then life happens, right? Your parents put their trauma on you and you go to school and the kids are mean and the media is throwing up at you advertising from the age of like, I don't know, probably before you even come out the womb at this bloody rate, but <laughs> you know, all yeah. the things. and we suddenly become these people that we don't even know. And if we're lucky enough, we get delivered what some people would say trauma, challenging times and things like that to bring us back home. So I really want to reframe this, that these bad things, yeah, they suck and they're so friggin' hard at the time. And it seriously feels like, hey, I did not sign up for this. Where's the eject button? Um, the abort mission button. But 
we can only come back to that remembering and that solid connection with who you are and what you are capable of when these things happen. And for me, I was born in Zimbabwe and lived there for 15 amazing, wonderful, wonderful years. We lived on a farm and uh, I was a, I was wild. I was a wild child, right? Still am. Still am a wild child. I'm still am. Still are. Yeah. Still wild. <laughs> yeah. I just look like an adult form right now. Um, and I would run around with no shoes on. I would be climbing trees. I'd be rescuing animals. I'm still, I'm still that person. Um, and hugging trees, learning how to make rope out of bark, you know, that really beautiful, beautiful childhood that I was blessed to have. Um, unfortunately, Africa being Africa, there's always a lot of political violence in that part of the world. I don't know why. Um, probably has something to do with colonization and, you know, disconnection from self and tribe and all that sort of stuff. We're not going into that today. <laughs> That's a whole different ball game. Um, but long story short, there erupted really intense political violence within Zimbabwe. And if you've ever seen the movie Blood Diamond, that's what I tell people who are from first world countries that it was like, because it's a very visual scene for them. There were child soldiers. There was a lot of guns. There was a lot of murder. There was a lot of rioting. There was a lot of um, bullying and yeah, it was intense. So I was experiencing that from the age of probably about 13 to 15 when we actually were forced to flee. We had people come onto our farm and say, you have five minutes to get off. If you're not off in five minutes, we will kill you. And they weren't messing around. I mean, my one of my close friends, her dad had been murdered the week before with sticks wrapped in barbed wire while she watched. They beat him to death. And I know this is really intense for a podcast, so maybe we need to put like a a warning on the front to say possible triggering there's, there's a trigger warning on every episode oh good okay just checking <laughs> I'm like how how intense do I go here but I think you guys can handle it because this is this is real right this is this is happening all around us whether you're in third world country or in a first world country or anywhere in between violence is happening unfortunately and so it was basically like everything that we had built up my family my parents had built up everything we had known um was just taken overnight it's like someone knocking on your front door and saying oh hey by the way this is our house now thanks for the tv thanks for the bed thanks for the you know the pets whatever see you later and you're kind of just like ushered out the door and you're going what do you mean <laughs> what do you mean um and so I when that happened I actually happened to be at boarding school so I went to an all-girls boarding school I only went home once a month um, that's just the way the schooling system is over there. And I will never forget. And this is where I think my real trauma started. Um, I will never forget the night that the matron woke me up from the dormitory, brought me downstairs and she said, Taryn, your parents have had to flee the farm and we don't know where they are. And so my 14-year-old brain is going okay, so I'm an orphan. I'm an orphan now. They're dead. They've been beaten to death. They've been, had their heads chopped off. Like, I don't know. Um, and I had a younger sister who was at a different school. And I was like, right now I've got to be a mom. Like all of these things at the age of 14 are like running through my head going, okay. Like, and I'm like, well, what do you mean? You don't know where they are. Well, we don't know where we are. They are, but I'm sure they're safe. And then I'm like, well, I'm sure they're pretty not friggin' safe. Like my whole environment right now is not safe. And so I had to then go back up to the dormitory and go to sleep 
I will let you know when we know. Radio. Okay. Oh my and gosh. So I, I know it was intense. Like what is like what did you do? Like what did you what do you do? Like what do you do when you're given such catastrophic news? Back then there wasn't cell phones, I'm assuming. Oh yeah. No, oh no, we had cell phones, you know, the old ones, the flip phone where you play snake on it. Oh like yeah. The Nokia, Nokia three six five. Yes. Those aren't flip. <laughs> Are they flip? No, they weren't. They were you can change. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no, okay, that was maybe further on. No, I had a Nokia 365. It was like lime green. But at boarding school, the schooling system, you are only allowed your phones, they are locked in a safe at all times. You're allowed them for 45 minutes between 4 and 5 p.m. on a weekday. What? And then they, yeah, anyway. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so you find out this catastrophic news. Yeah. don't have an answer, and now you have to go to bed. Mm -hmm. And you're in like a dormitory full of like 50 other girls sleeping on like cots with wardrobes next to them all the lights are off you're not allowed to talk otherwise you get punished so (laughs) so I literally just went and and laid in the dark for however many hours it was until the bell went off to get us all up and I actually don't clearly remember what happened after that I think it's something that is is either not relevant to me or I've kind of just lost in amongst all the chaos that happened thereafter but long story short they found my parents <laughs> my parents had um um in the capital city with um my dad no my mum's mum and dad so they were safe that was fine and but just like that overnight having that trauma and then going okay well we've just lost that safe childhood place which was so idyllic for somebody like me massive introvert you know very connected to nature that sort of thing like I don't do well with being told what to do and when to do it um kind of society and then having to be with my grandparents and then find in in a city environment now nonetheless yeah wait wait hold on so you were okay I sorry I need some clarification and and you cut out a little because like internet so (laughs) you were in overnight you had to lie in bed, like, where the heck are my parents? Are they dead? Oh my gosh. You yeah. wake up and like, you find, they, they they tell you your parents are safe and they're in the capital city and they're with your grandparents. Yeah. Did you have to stay at school? Oh you, yeah. For how long? Like what? I honestly don't remember, but I only went home once a month. So it could have been anywhere from three weeks to one week or I don't know. It's... Were you able to talk to them between yeah, four and five? It, yeah. Between four and five for an hour. On my prepaid minutes. <laughs> what a time. Yes. Yeah. And of course, you know, they were like, oh, it's fine. Everything's fine. Because that's your job as a parent, right? To tell your child that everything's fine. But if clearly everything was not fine. Um, my dad actually had a a breakdown and he went mute for 48 hours. He just didn't talk at all um, from the trauma. And then my mom went into like hyperprotective mode, trying to do everything for everybody, which obviously then results in various other mental health issues and things like that. And we were all so traumatized by everything that had happened. I mean, my sister had to sleep with, um, bells on the, the gate, um, at every new house, even in Australia, right up to today. Um, and that was 19 years ago now, uh, so that we can hear people coming and going. Like I'm the lightest sleeper in the world. If a fly flies past my head, I will hear that fly and I will ninja it because, (laughs) because I'm so used to being on edge and protective of my environment that that's what it does, you know? And when that trauma sits in your body for so, so long, 
because also coming from a culture that's like don't air your dirty laundry in public you know we get up and we keep going there's no such thing as depression there's no such thing as anxiety there's no such thing as mental health like don't talk about these things like that was the culture that I grew up in and I know that a lot of people experience within their family environments and things I'm glad that 19 years later this sort of thing is very much more spoken about but I was the first one in my family to speak up and say hey I'm not okay I am not okay because I it got to the point where I was so stressed in my life and trying to operate on this level of unhealed trauma and then all of these other things that I then packed on when we moved to Australia, for example. Um, I'll just backtrack a bit so that people kind of get what I'm saying here because it involves a bit of background story. So we had to move. Basically, you can't live in a country that doesn't, that wants to kill you. <laughs> long story short fair fair yeah um yeah and so we had to apply to Australia or Ireland was the other option because um of the laws and things like that and my dad wanted somewhere with good schools and similar weather and obviously Ireland was out for him with the whole similar weather thing which I'm quite sad about I love Ireland but anyway we had to move literally to the opposite side of the world to Australia this big ass island in the middle of freaking nowhere that I had never even heard of let alone been to as a kid and I was quite bullied at school in high school growing up because I was weird still am (laughs) because I don't I don't you know fit myself into that box and so when all the girls were playing spin the bottle or kissing the boys when they came over from the boys school for their one hour visit on a Sunday um, that's like four to five cell phone hour (laughs) four to five happy hour baby (laughs) um (laughs) while they were all getting happy I was playing you know the game boy and playing king kong on the game boy or I was reading a book you know I that was me I was happy doing Well, it's also like you went through this stuff when you were so young that like these these this this new group of peers I'm sure people suffer trauma but nothing like fleeing from your country because you're gonna get murdered yeah yeah it wasn't it was a big deal right and um I mean I was bullied before that it was I was just bullied for being the odd one out and I think that that's you know when you when your society is based on on fit in or die basically when you're hardwired to do that it's really difficult to navigate anyway when we were told that we were going to Australia um who by the way wouldn't accept us as refugees because of the color of our skin just saying I know that's controversial but we maybe tell the listeners who can't see you like what you look like oh what do I look like today well I just had to do a TikTok tutorial on how to do my friggin' eyeshadow because (laughs) I'm about to go for a modeling shoot I have curly brown hair that's like super wild I have really pale skin I have blue eyes And yeah, one of the first questions I got asked when I came to Australia from the kids at school, because then we had to assimilate into a totally different education system where it's not like the military education system that I came from, where they literally would measure our skirts to ensure that they were the correct amount below the knee to where girls in Australia were rolling up their skirts so that they were super short and putting on makeup and had piercings and hair colorings and all the things I was like oh my god it's kind of like the movie Mean Girls where like Lindsay Lohan moves from like 100% jungle yeah totally like that is Mean Girls based on your life story 
Oh, you know what? I wonder if they want to do a sequel and hire me. I should reach out to them. If they, excuse me, if anyone's listening to this, you want to hire me for Mean Girls number three or two. Oh, okay, so we're kind of making light of the situation, but it's not a light situation. <laughs> like fleeing Zimbabwe. It's light now. It's light now. And the only reason being is because I've done the work. And so yeah. anyway, I said that I was going to become a whole different person when I came to Australia so that everybody would like me. Right. That's all we want as teenagers is to to be liked and to fit in. Right. I was like, I don't want to be bullied anymore. It's not a nice friggin' feeling. And I'd already had all of these horrible feelings from the trauma. And so I I'm pretty sure I should have won an Oscar by now. I think it's lost in the mail for the amount of acting that I managed to pull off between the ages of 15 and I would say 22. I arrived in Australia and I became one of the cool people. Misfit cool person. But, but that's you um, anyway. You are a misfit cool person, just so you I know. I am a misfit cool person. Yeah, but I was this really over the top, doing all the things that I didn't want to do, saying all the things that I that weren't truly me, going out, drinking like copious amounts. Like I am tiny, you guys. I'm 46 kilos like I'm 1.2 meters tall, whatever it is. And I I could drink two bottles of wine on my own and still be fine. Like that was, you know, the kind of environment that I was playing in. And the reason being is because I didn't want to feel. That trauma and feelings were so triggering for me that I just wanted to be completely numb. And I didn't value myself being bullied and then having all of this trauma. I looked for my value in everywhere outside of myself, but within me. So I had a boyfriend all the time. And if I didn't have a boyfriend, I was freaking the fuck out because I didn't know how to be on my own because the idea of being on my own triggered all of those traumas from when I literally thought I was alone. And at, you know, at the age of 15 and all of these things, I was like, I can't do it. And so I dated like endlessly. I drank to numb myself. But then the problem was I would get so, so drunk that then I would have these big crying breakdowns. And all I want to talk about was the trauma because I'd lost that inhibition by that stage. And then like who, nobody wants to go out with the person who gets so drunk and then like <laughs> is ugly snot crying about their trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And so on top of that, coming from a culture that, that's like strive, you know, be at the top of your game. There are certain um, educations that you need to study. There is like, if I wasn't an A plus student, then I got in trouble, right? It was this constant pushing. Like you need to study this. These are the acceptable uni degrees to study was literally what I was told, right? You can study this, 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 and this. Anything else is not acceptable from our perspective, right? And so I got a degree in criminology, Whilst I did that, I was working full-time in the railway, working 12-hour rotating shifts, um, you know, overachiever, type A overachiever, because if I wasn't doing and achieving and being valued by somebody else, then I wasn't worth it. Then my self-worth was non-existent. Like, why am I even here, right? Anyway, by the age of 23, I was, I had the corner office with the view over the harbour and I had the new car and I had the house and I was earning a six-figure salary and I was like, yeah, man, I've got it made. I'm killing life, you know, but I was so, so dead on the inside that, I mean, I was, I was sick. 
Anyway, enter a spectacular burnout. The universe gave me a beautiful back slap <laughs> and really, you know, forced me to the darkest place I've ever been. I think, you know, it got to a point where I just could not operate anymore. I was so exhausted physically, emotionally, mentally, all of the things. I had shingles. Shingles showed up, up and down my spine. So, so freaking painful if you've ever had shingles. Um, I had unexplained um, rashes all over my jawline and my face um, that I got, you know, I got treated with lasers and chemicals and and um, pills and everything wouldn't go away. Why? Because my body was so stressed out and so traumatized because I hadn't dealt with anything. And so my doctor um, was actually South African, which was very lucky because she, South Africa, for those of you who don't know, is the country that is south of Zimbabwe. We share a border. And, you know, Africa being Africa, they were also experiencing similar things just at a later stage, similar traumas. And so she understood and she actually said to me, Taryn, you have PTSD, chronic depression and major anxiety. And I started screaming at her <laughs> and I was like don't be ridiculous I'm not weak these are the words that came out of my mouth I'm not weak do you not know who I am I can do anything I am not broken um there's nothing wrong with me there's no such thing as depression there's no such thing as anxiety I'm just feeling a little sad it's okay to feel sad <laughs> I was having this full-on screaming match with my doctor in her office whilst hysterically crying, mind you. And she was like, Taryn, we need to help you. You need to go on medication. And I was like, I'm not going on medication because for those of you who don't yet know me and please come and play with me <laughs> if you do want to know me. But um, you want to know her. You want to know. You want to know me. Come play with me. Come send me some Insta DMs. I'll have a chat with you about all the things. I don't do superficial conversations, clearly. So, you know, if you <laughs> want to talk, we're going to talk. Um <laughs> And I was like, I'm, I'm very alternative medicine now. You know, I want to do the work. I want to feel the feelings. If I'm feeling pain, I want to sit in that pain. But at the time I didn't. And so when she was like, no, you need to go on medication. I was like, no, I'm not going on medication. Do you, have you read the side effects? Because let's be real. I'm a massive nerd. I'm like a science nerd. I'm like, have you read the side effects? Do you know they test on animals? Do you know that this can happen? That, 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 clearly she's a doctor. She knows this stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I was like totally against it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, what stopped me in my tracks was how she explained it to me. And for those of you who are listening, who are going through something similar or who have been through something similar, this is the best way I have ever heard getting support for mental health explained to me. She said, Taryn, you are like a truck and you're currently stuck in the mud. Okay. And every time you try to get out of the mud, you're just spinning your wheels and you're just getting deeper and deeper into it. She said, the medication is the tow truck that's going to come and hook up to you and you've got a journey to go on and it's a hill. You're the truck stuck in the mud at the bottom of the hill. Ahead of you is a really steep hill. There is a top to the hill and then there is a downside to the hill, the easy side to the hill. But right now you need this tow truck to come and hook up to you and it's going to very gently, slowly pull you out of the mud and all the way to the top of the hill. And so me being a smart ass was like, okay, fine. What if I unhook from the tow truck about halfway up the hill? She goes, no, Taryn, if you unhook from the tow truck 
as in go off your medication, because I wanted to get rid of that shameful, disgusting diagnosis as soon as possible, right? She said, you will just go back down into the mud again. And so I agreed to go on the medication. And that wasn't enough for me either. I then studied yoga. I became a qualified yoga teacher. I studied meditation. I studied various things of mental health. I I really wanted to go deep into human emotion and how we can heal. How do we become more resilient? What, what enables a person to move forward? How do we find that? How do we find the courage to keep going when things do feel like you're going to break? They're going to break you because I also remember feeling that if I did let things out, if I did feel that I would never be able to get back up again, that I would just cry forever until I died, that I would scream forever until I died, that I that it would be too raw and emotionally catastrophic for me to feel at that level that I would never recover. I think that was my main fear. And then obviously there was the shame and the guilt and all of those other things that I'm broken, I'm weak, I'm pathetic, I'm unlovable, I couldn't do it. I'm a failure. The inner critic is just a vicious little bitch when it comes to this sort of thing. And unless you can go there, unless you go into that really dark place and you let it happen, where you get to the point where you're like, fuck it, if I never get back up again, so be it. Because there is no other way. You cannot, you will reach a point where you cannot continue to operate at the levels you've been operating at. And for me, it was multifaceted. I, I did all of these, you know, studies and things. And then I had the medication and then I had my people, you know, I had, I, fa- I found my people that accepted me for who I was. I stopped looking for my worth outside of myself and it was lonely and it was hard and it was uncomfortable, but it was also deeply healing. Yeah. And you, only you have the power to do that work. No one is going to do it for you. So I think, first of all, wow, thank you. <laughs> thank you for sharing all of that. Your story is just so incredible. Like it's like, I'm speechless. Um, <laughs> and I that's really- unusual. We all know that's unusual, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. But I, I want to like, you, you were brought up in a place, in a community, in a family where like mental health, the conversations around that weren't a thing. Like depression is mm-hmm. not real put a smile on and push through. Yeah. And you almost hit your rock bottom or you did hit your rock bottom. How, at what point, like if someone's listening to this and they're on that same trajectory as you, but they're Mm -hmm. not fully there yet, like where, like at what, what do you think at what point people need to seek out help? Like I'm asking because I know our listeners all come from various backgrounds and experiences. I am on medication and I have Mm. therapy and counseling and I do all the things, the yoga, the meditation, sobriety, the, you know, plant healing. I'm doing the the work. I have a lifetime of healing to do like the rest of my life. I will be healing. And really we start, we should be starting to heal from when we're out of the womb. Like, you know, but you know, what advice do you have for our listeners as we kind of wind down here? Yeah. So yeah. Like how do we, like, how do you nip it in the bud? Like how, what are those, what are those warning signs that you're getting to that place before mm, it's too late, before they become stuck in that mud? 
Yeah. Okay. So we've got the warning signs, but before I give you the warning signs, I do want to stress that until you are ready to receive help and you're ready to ask for help, mm-hmm. you you can't go there. Yeah. You won't allow yourself to go there for whatever reason. But I hope that conversations like these can give you the courage to know that you are not alone. There are so many of us that it's part of the human condition. Every single person on this planet has some sort of trauma or dark thing that they're dealing with. And we need to be braver about speaking up and going, hey. And when someone asks you, hey, how are you? Actually telling them. One of my pet hates is when someone goes, oh, hey, how are you? And they go, I'm fine. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I actually want to know. Otherwise, I wouldn't waste my frigging time asking you how you are. You know, anyway. So I just wanted to preface the warning signs with that. For me, and I think it's different for everybody, but for me, the warning signs were my coping mechanisms of drinking too much. The fact that I was starting to physically lash out at people who were, who I perceived were hurting me um, when I was in those intoxicated states. Um, I started, when I started to drink at 9am in the morning, like, that was a problem, right? I should recognize that sign. When you literally feel nothing inside except anger or like anger was my default emotion because I knew how to fight. I'm a fighter. I'm a natural fighter. I'm a natural warrior, right? That was my default emotion. Other people have other default emotions, but when the only emotion I could feel was anger, that was a problem. Other than that, every other time I was just numb, completely numb. When you are sacrificing who you are, what you want, what you think in order to please others, that's no way to live. If if any of you have not read Untamed by Glennon Doyle, please, for the love of God, go and buy that book right now. Oh, it's such a good it, book. Such a good book. Um, people pleasing is an illness in itself. I am a recovering people pleaser right? And that's a warning sign. Because when you're doing that, you're living for somebody else, not for you. And that is damaging to your healing. That is damaging to your purpose here on earth. What other warning signs? And then you had like physical, like physical. Oh, physical signs. Yeah. Like you, you got to the point with you you having rashes and whatnot. For me, I know, like, I can tell you when I'm about to hit burnout, my eyes twitch. Yeah. I am tired all the time. Yeah. 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 So the physical signs for me were um, acne at in my 20s. Like that was fun. I was also about to get married and, you know, I was like, what am I going to look like on my wedding day? That was something I was worried about. And then what they, what they termed as rosacea, but only because they literally said, well, we don't know what else to call it. Like, this is the closest thing we can figure out. Um, That red rash on my face, that continual exhaustion where I could have 12 hours of sleep and wake up and feel like I'd had none my eyes felt like they were dry and literally about to fall out of my head. Memory, what memory? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, brain I fog. Could not remember, yeah, brain fog. I could not remember, you know, my birthday, how old I was, you know, that sort of people are like, oh, how old are you? I'm like, I don't friggin' know. Like, what do you mean? Don't ask me how questions. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> you walk into yeah. a room and you're like, hang on, why am I here? 
you know, or you you are working and you're you're typing and you're like, what was I doing? What was I typing? Yeah, yeah. You know definitely. that like, constant that numbing out as well, like that daydreaming, but then you're not actually thinking about anything. It's like literally someone hits the off button and you just kind of like go catatonic for a bit. Yeah, and you just stare into space. Young kids do that when they're tired. If you've ever seen a young child and you'll try and talk to them and it's just like they've left their body for a little bit. That's another thing. Um, I actually started to see things. I started to hallucinate. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, it, it actually got really bad with my mental health. I forgot to share this part. So I was still living at home at the time. I think I was 18, 19, something, somewhere around that. And um, I would be awake. I would be awake, but not awake. So my eyes were open. I could have a lucid conversation with you. I could walk around very safely. Like it was weird, right? But I would remember, it was like I was out of my body and I was watching myself and I would remember all of this in the morning, but I started to see three three ghosts, if you like, three figments of my imagination. There was an old man, there was an old woman, and there was a child who had had her eyes gouged out and whose who had blood streaming down her face and she would sit at the end of my bed and just stare at me with those eyes and just keep pulling the head off her doll continuously. Oh my God. That's like nightmare fuel. I just got goosebumps. That's, that's... <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So the old man used to come and when I saw him and they didn't all come at the same time, but every night I would see at least one of them, if not several during the night, um, the old man would come and sit down by my bed and the old woman would just come and stand over me. And then there was the child who would sit at the end of my bed end of my bed or on the floor next to my bed and just continuously like intensely stare at me and pull the the head off her doll and I told my parents and I started to see them during the day as well it got to that point like and while you see, were awake you were yeah, seeing while, while I was awake and you know I would say to my is mom, that the trauma mom, or the burnout I'm not sure I think it was a combination of both to be honest oh my gosh um, because it was like lucid hallucination I was awake and I could remember this wow. it wasn't like you know, and I would say to my mom, I'm like, mom, can you see him? She's like, who are you talking about? Because I, I opened up to my parents. I was like, I'm seeing these things. Like, you know, do like you hell. believe in ghosts? Like I opened up this conversation, right? And she was like, see who? I'm like, the man, mom. He's right freaking here. Look, I'm touching him. Like I would reach out and go, look, I'm touching him on the forehead. And she was like, Taryn, there's nothing there. And I was like, what do you mean there's nothing there? Like it was, it wasn't even like a ghost, like see-through ghost. Like this man was in physical form. These things I was seeing were in physical form. I'm like, what do you mean? I could describe the color of his eyes, how deep his wrinkles were, what clothes he was wearing, what he smelled like, like all of the things. She's like, I can't see anything. And I was like, oh my God, I'm having a breakdown or I've lost my mind. <laughs> oh my gosh, Taryn. So yeah. yeah. Wow. And so going on medication and yoga and yeah. therapy and everything that you you started doing got rid of the old man yeah that's a bit sad because he was really nice oh I mean <laughs> and the, the little girl that she didn't I know see. I'm glad she's gone she she needed help but, but so I probably me right she didn't yeah. look like me she didn't look like me. She was, um, I think she was like Polish or something. She had long, like straight back hair. I don't know. She, but she could have been me in, you know, if you want to look into Freudian, all this sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. But once I started to feel the feelings and when I hit that rock bottom and I did started doing the work, gradually these things went away. So what, 
what the important message here is it's, it's okay to feel the feelings, all the feelings, the happy, yeah. the sad, but also the hard stuff that's happened in life. We need to face it head on. Like it happened. So the yeah. only way to get over it is through it. The only way to yeah. heal is through and facing 100%. it and doing the work. And there's people out there like counselors and therapists, alternative healers, there's medication, there's yeah. There's so many different resources. The uh, Global Resilience Project, our community mm-hmm. is a safe place to read and share stories and listen to stories and share your story on our podcast and, yeah. and you know, help others going through this challenging time. Share yeah. your story is part of healing, whether it's oh, in a journal yes. or on this podcast, but, you know, you don't have to have survived, you know, fleeing a country because people are getting murdered to have, you know, to go through this. Like there are a lot of people who are just need support who maybe have life is freaking hard you guys like the world we're living in and the pace that we're running at is insane we are not designed to operate at this level it your trauma doesn't have to look like mine trauma can be you know the smallest smallest of things it's okay there's nothing wrong with you and just because your story isn't as deep or traumatic as mine or somebody else's doesn't make it any less worthy yeah, exactly. Wow. So, I mean, I feel like there's going to have to be a part two, maybe three with you, Taryn. <laughs> there's always um, a part two, three, four, five, six with me. I mean, so, <laughs> Ter- yeah, Taryn's amazing. Um, you know, she's just a phenomenal person. I invite you to check out her links in our show notes. Share this episode, share her with your community. She's doing some yeah. really amazing work. Um, you know, I think. Like I definitely am in awe of how vulnerable and special you are. You know, you have something about you and I love our friendship and how it's blossomed. And, you know, it's from what you're telling me of who you used to be to who you are now, they are completely different people. Like I can't even see it. So I just think though, in saying that the soul is the same. right the soul is the same and you have to face it in order to step into who you were always meant to be like if you had told me like even when I was a little child that I would have been speaking on stage that I would have been on a Times Square billboard that I would have been you know sharing a story like this I would have laughed in your face and be like no thanks like no yeah but you are we are so much more capable strong and resilient than we ever give ourselves credit for own it exactly and like that's the whole point like we are resilient like is okay to not be okay yep you have people to support you a community to support you and we all have the ability to be resilient we all have the ability to become more resilient we can get through the hard shit we can do hard things right And I mean, you're such a testament to that. So I just want to thank you so much for joining us on this discussion on radical resilience. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And you're amazing. So, and thank you to everyone who, who hung out with us, listened to this episode. Um, You know, it was another, yeah, it was just like another brilliant conversation that like 
it, it leaves a lot to think about, you know, going about your life and my eyes twitching or like things are happening or weird rashes. Yeah. It's like, am I starting burnout? Yeah. Uh, my mental health. It's like health. a check engine light on a car. If that light is starting to go off, you need to go and do something about it before your car breaks down. Yeah. <laughs> so like everyone, you know, is your check engine light on? Is it flickering? Has it been on for a while? Go take care of yourself. And, you know, thanks for tuning in to another episode. Peace out, my friends. Hi. That's a wrap for another episode of Radical Resilience. Do you feel inspired by this episode? You can subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player and connect with us to join the conversation at IamResilient.info. Remember, it's okay to not be okay. And you, my friend, are resilient. Radical Resilience is a podcast created by The Resilience Project.